Welcome to the Daily Objective. It is day 54 of the war in Israel. Um, we haven't been doing uh, much of news updates. Uh, you know, the the um, uh, the hostage deal is, uh, is uh, continuing, so hostages are being released. Uh, terrorists are being released in exchange. There is a, a ceasefire for now. Um, that's that that is uh, pretty much the news. I mean, there's some you know ongoing psychological warfare uh, by Hamas, as uh, as you would expect. And uh, but yeah, if if people actually want more extensive uh, news updates, let us know. And and, and certainly when there is um, when it, when it is a big news day, we will we will do that. Well, I'll tell you though, Razi, I heard some reports. Um from people who were released. And uh, some of those reports are kind of disturbing. Uh, being forced to watch videos of the, the October 7th atrocities. Uh, being uh, There was one uh, male uh, hostage who said he was beaten regularly almost every day. People being held in the dark uh, for over a month. I mean, it is really disturbing. Being starved as well. They were starved as well. Exactly. It's very disturbing to me. The atrocity. I mean, they continue to to violate human rights. And the only people who, in some people's minds, are violating human rights are Israel, which is simply defending itself. But the clear violations of, I mean, senseless agony that they're inflicting upon these hostages, the taking of innocence, the taking of children and grandmothers as hostages. But then you look at the way they're treating them. It's disgusting. It's itself an atrocity. Um, That would be my thought on the latest news. Um, Yeah, and by the way, we will talk about... I'm happy when hostages get released, but I, I'm just worried that we're setting up another October 7th and another October 7th. We, the, Israel is releasing terrorists that are perfectly capable of doing another October 7th, just as Hamas has promised that there will be October 7th after October 7th until Israel is gone. Um, uh, yeah, which is which is uh, something, you know, that's, that's a moment that's going to be a moment of celebration for many in the West. And that, by the way, is uh, uh, the topic of... The reality show today we're going to talk about modern day holocaust denial and I, I will talk about it also in the context of some of the reaction to the reports of how the hostages have been treated um there was another point you just made that i was going to uh reply to and i don't remember now what it was but anyway but yeah this is uh yeah this is you know it is an ongoing situation and it's it's uh, by the way one of the i think today's episode after two days of talking about norman finkelstein and uh, Betselem, this is a kind of a lighter topic of course in uh 27 minutes we will be talking about owen jones and novara media so uh it's it's not completely a uh uh you know light uh topic actually this is not a light topic it's uh it's just a you know more of a historical context here uh, so yeah, James, we are talking uh, today about um, the UN partition plan, uh, which was voted on, uh, the UN voted in favor of it on uh, November 29th, uh, 1947. And um, by the way, this is Ayn Rand Center UK. And as we've mentioned in the past, it's a good time to repeat that uh, the UK abstained in that vote as it did in the uh, recent vote on a ceasefire. And we should always repeat when we talk about a ceasefire. Ceasefire sounds nice. People stop dying. No, ceasefire is a win for Hamas. It's an encouragement for future attacks. And it's a 
uh, yeah, if you support a ceasefire, you support the Hamas atrocities. There are no two ways about it. And you want more of those to happen because as long as Hamas exists, as they, as you mentioned, as they have promised, there will be more of that. Um, 76, yeah, thing, years ago, yeah. 76 years ago now, uh, the United Nations voted for the partition of the uh, British mandate. Now, of course, Britain had been restricting, even before World War II, had been restricting Jewish immigration to the area, which after World War I, when the Ottoman Empire fell apart, and they'd been oppressing the entire region of the Middle East. They'd been, uh, everyone had been under the, Arab or Jew, had been under the thumb of the, the oppressive Ottoman Empire for centuries. And when World War I brought a collapse of that Ottoman Empire, of course, there was a partition that gave uh, the Arab countries, even if they had to draw artificial lines, straight lines between Iraq and Jordan and Jordan and Saudi Arabia and so forth, even if they drew artificial straight lines, they were going to give the indigenous Arab peoples who had just been liberated from the Ottoman Empire uh, their own nation states. But Israel was left out of that. And indeed, the, what had been going on before, an ongoing Zionist movement of immigration, the British in the 1930s restricted. They would not allow uh, uh, Jews to uh, migrate to, uh, uh, and continue the movement of Zionism. And in the face of what was going to happen in World War II, where, what, what is it, one quarter to one third of the entire Jewish world population was wiped out in the Holocaust? Um, and okay, that's a pretty serious thing. And in the wake of that, the British still, in 1947, with commissions that were designed to figure out what would be fair for a Jewish state or not, British Britain still abstained from the partition agreement that a majority of UN uh, uh, countries did vote for um, uh, to create Israel. And that was, what, uh, 76 years ago today? Yeah. Now, the reaction to the uh, to the vote on that night, um, you know, uh, pretty much, you know, we, we can look at it uh, 76 years later and say, yeah, not much has changed. So in Israel uh, or, or uh, what later became Israel, Jews celebrated. This was a great moment for them. You know, there was finally going to be a Jewish state. This is uh, two years after World War Two ended. And yeah. Um, uh, Arabs did not celebrate. Arabs planned for war, a uh, war that they started uh, against Israel on the day that it declared independence in May of uh, 1948. And, uh, and in 1947, we got the inauguration of the term from the river to the sea. It was a, a Palestinian, uh, who would call them today a Palestinian leader, but at the time, an Arab leader from the region literally said, in opposition to the 1947, in 1947, to the partition plan, we will annihilate the, the Jewish, uh, the Zionist state from the river to the sea. And that's when it began in 1947. They refused and they said there would be violent. There were uh, major Arab leaders in the region from King Farouk in Egypt to uh, the uh, new uh, newly liberated Arab states on the uh, Arabian Peninsula, they were all saying that they would there would be violent, continuous opposition to the creation of a Jewish state. Um, you know, I can't help but notice that when it comes to America and Europe, the right of Muslims to immigrate is a, a, an absolute right. How dare you suggest that people don't have a right to immigrate to, to Europe, even if they're Muslim? How dare you suggest that the United States not allow uh, people to migrate in any numbers? Now, I am pro-immigration. 
I really do. I think a free country should be open, all other things being equal, depending on certain special circumstances. And I think there are some special circumstances when you let in a bunch of terrorists. But apart from uh, that, I am pro-immigration. And the left is so pro-immigration, except when, of course, it comes to Israel and Jews who have been for the last 150 years migrating to Israel. The entire Zionist migration movement is an exercise in freedom of immigration from countries that were literally slaughtering them in Europe, literally slaughtering them within memory. I mean, the 1940s, uh, like I say, a significant portion of world Jewry was wiped out in the Holocaust. And these lefties who are so pro-immigration when it comes to Europe get, having to take in Muslims or when it comes to America having to take in everybody, they're suddenly, when it comes to Arab states, they have a right to be racist in their anti-immigration policies. That was the official position, mind you, of the British government, as far as I can see, and of course, all the Arab states in the region that opposed Israel. Um, yeah, and by the way, the people today calling, uh, you know, the, the people today who are more open or more honest about what they actually uh, uh, think, or let's say truthful about what they think, and say that they don't want Israel to exist, they they suggest that the Jews go back to where they came from. Of course, where they came from is, as you mentioned, Arab countries where they would be slaughtered immediately, and European countries where they wouldn't be slaughtered immediately, but, you know, these are not welcoming. It's it's not, it, Jews don't feel welcome. Uh, For in, six in, uh, million Europe. Jews... Over six million Jewish civilians had been had been slaughtered in the 1940s. That was the recent memory. And more than that, their immigration to uh, Israel was being restricted, even if these people had no other place to go. I mean, the horrors. I, I you know, I highly recommend a, an Otto Preminger film from the early 1960s called Exodus, starring Paul Newman, and it very much tells the desperate plight of Jewish immigrants who really had no home, that were completely uh, abandoned, in effect, by the world community uh, before the creation of Israel. Um, and the creation of Israel and the migration there to create a Jewish state where Jews have always been. Now, there's arguments about, well, gee, the majority of the population in the general area was always Arab Muslim. Well, that's true. And geez, the areas where Israel is getting the right to have uh, the, its country, those aren't majority owned yet by uh, uh, Zionists who are privately purchasing the land. Uh, that's in other areas. Uh, okay. Uh, the, the point is that a country, as we objectivists uniquely know, the legitimacy of a country does not depend upon historical circumstance ethnic uh, or religious composition or racial composition it has to do with the recognition and enforcement of individual rights of individual rights there is no way look at the arab states today there is no way they would have granted freedom of speech and freedom of religion and basic civil rights to their jewish population they still don't and rather than the world community saying requiring of regional arab states no you have to recognize the equal rights of jews yeah, they don't, they don't require, uh, you know, they don't protect the rights of their uh, of non-Jews. Their own people. There, there are no, there, there is no recognition of rights anywhere in the Arab world. The only place in the Middle East where there is, is Israel. But I, I want to go back to... So um, the only legitimate state, my last thought there is the only legitimate state in the region from our standpoint is Israel. The only yeah. state with a claim to moral legitimacy from our perspective. Yeah, that's all. Which which should also tell you something about the people who the only the only state in the world that they are actively uh, you know vocally opposing is Israel. 
and 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 when they say, well, actually, it's not anti-Semitism. Well, it raises a it raises a question. But back to um, yeah, 1947, 1948. So the partition plan gives uh, the Jews a state. It was a smaller state than it ended up actually being. Um, uh, because because I mean the Jews accepted it, uh, the Zionist movement accepted it as as was uh, offered and as was agreed upon, and of course the Arabs did not because the existence of a Jewish state was uh, was unacceptable to them. So they launched a war. Uh, they lost that war. Israel ended up being bigger than it actually uh, was was uh, otherwise going to be. And, the confidence um, of world of Arab leaders of the world at the time was ridiculous. We'll have no problem, they said in the late forties, wiping out the Zionist state. It's and not just they, they lost pretty quickly and readily. Yeah, it wasn't just the confidence of the Arab leaders. I mean, it it didn't it, it didn't look you know a smart uh, bet would not be on Israel to actually right. win that war, and and I think uh, even. Uh, Israel's allies back then, whoever was kind of an ally, I'm not even sure who would count as an ally back then, if it was the U.S., if it was Soviet Russia, if it was a little bit of both. Uh, nobody actually thought that Israel would win that war, uh, let alone win and, and gain uh, territory. And, and you know, when, uh, when people... Um, Sometimes you know when people talk about a, a peace deal uh, between the the what we now call the Palestinians uh, and Israel, uh, they talk about a return to the 1967 borders. That those are the borders pre uh, the Six Day War uh, before Israel expanded territorially, gained uh, the Golan Heights, gained uh, Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, uh, gained the, uh, the Gaza Strip. Uh, the people who call for a return to the 1967 borders, again, I don't give them the benefit of the doubt. They know that they are calling for a return to the 1947 borders. They know that they are calling for the extermination of Israel. They know that Israel is still surrounded by people who want nothing other than to exterminate the Jews. And you give them an advantage when you give them you give them a territorial advantage uh, when you when you give back those territories, which just I'll quickly say in the Golan Heights means they actually have the advantage from above, from the mountain, almost on the border of of, uh, um, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And and in in, uh, most of Israel in the center, you have uh, the West Bank being, in in some places, there's going to be eight kilometers between between this future Palestinian state and the sea. And those eight kilometers will be uh, easy for, uh, for the Palestinian state, certainly if it's armed, to uh, you know, to attack properly and uh, exactly that's the whole thing. I mean, if they were to relinquish the Golan Heights, they'd be surrendering a military position that would make northern Israel under constant threat, and the civilians in northern Israel under the constant threat of the rockets and missiles that have been coming over. I mean, look, if it weren't for the fact that it is Arab Muslims that started the war in the uh, late 1940s to destroy Israel, but failed, they also launched the war in the late 1960s, which so dramatically failed and lost them the West Bank and the Golan Heights. But wait a minute, they used the West Bank as a launching ground for an attack against Israel. If the if the West Bank, we call most of Judea and Samaria traditionally, what we call the West Bank was used. Now, mind you, a bunch of Jews, when the 47-48 partition happened, had to leave 
the area of the West Bank, areas that had been uh, part of them had been purchased, privately purchased by Jews in the West Bank had to be given up. So Israel gives up, in effect, the West Bank, only to have 20 years later, uh, th th that being the staging ground for the next Arab attack on Israel. And so if if you're ask, asking Israel to give up control of the West Bank or Golanites, you're asking them to go back and be a, a repeatedly attacked again by their Arab neighbors again and again and again. And Israel is attacked by its Arab neighbors again and again, even without that territorial advantage. So uh, the next war was in 1973. Now, in, in, right. like after Israel won in 1967, they said, let's sit and talk. They said, let's sit and talk from the start. Israel wanted from the start. peace from, uh, from the beginning. The problem is... It's difficult for people who want to wipe you out to say, actually, but okay, we'll settle for peace. That's that's not gonna that's not They've gonna happen. Offered peace again and again and again and again. In and my lifetime, I've heard Arab leaders, so-called moderate Fatah leaders, or the more extreme ones, both of them saying, "No, we reject the, the, even recognizing Israel's right to exist. How could you possibly have a peace deal under those circumstances?" Uh, no, and it yeah. is constant aggression from it from the Arabs against Israel. Yeah, that's the thing. When there is no actual full-on war, there are attacks all the time. And those attacks used to be from, from countries. Now they are from the Palestinians who are, uh, again, as, as we've said on these shows, they are all civilians, technically. Hamas terrorists are not officially soldiers, so you could count them, and, and many do count them as uh, yeah. civilians when they count uh, so-called civilian deaths. So, uh, you know, Israel, uh, even before it existed, there were attacks on Jews uh, by Arabs in oh. uh, in in um, in that area in Palestine, as as it is actually, uh, you know, was called not as a not as a uh, you know as as it is referred to now as Palestine as the the uh, imaginary Palestinian state, which people want to make real. But that was the British mandate of the area called Palestine. Um, and uh, yeah, it, these attacks again started before Israel uh, uh, came into existence. Continue to this very day. Sometimes they're just stabbing attacks. Sometimes they are October seventh. Sometimes they are anything in between. And uh, any call on Israel, uh, you know, not to uh, not to act militarily. This is why we, we repeat this. You know, uh, the, this point that uh, people calling for a ceasefire are not calling for the end of killing. They are calling for the end of Israel defending itself. That is what a call for a ceasefire is. Precisely, precisely right. They can't defend themselves against October 7th atrocities. And I'm hearing more and more intellectuals and college people just simply denying. One of the sickening things I woke up to this morning with the news was a bunch of people saying there were no babies burned, there were no women mutilated, there were no young people at a concert mowed down indiscriminately, no, there were no families burnt alive in their homes. They don't believe the facts. And they simply are in dishonest denial about the genocide, I mean, and think about it. They call Gaza, that Finkelstein guy we were talking about, he calls Gaza concentration camp. I mean, can you imagine the obscenity of that? And now they're calling what Israel is doing genocide. No, the people who want the genocide are Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad and Iran and the Houthis. They want to wipe out every single Jew in the area. They're calling for the genocide, not Israel. Israel is doing everything it can, in fact, doing more than I would say it should be doing, to protect uh, 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 civilians in Gaza. Well, the only ones, as I've said a thousand times, that give a damn about civilians are Israel. 
Uh, they value every human life. And the only way Hamas values human life is as a, a, a number they can use against Israel, even if it's their own babies. It's disgusting. Uh, well, people know. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with all of that. And much of it I will repeat on the reality show when we talk about modern day Holocaust denial. Uh, I want to thank our super chatters, Bonnie uh, and Buster Jones, who says, I'm convinced Jew hatred stems from Judaism being the one religion that barely tolerates selfishness. Most of the world doesn't share this tolerance. I've heard this uh, before. I have to say, uh, you know, when I, I went to school in Israel and there was Bible class and that was a uh, uh, draw in your notebook class for me. So I wasn't really paying that much attention. Uh, but I uh, I have heard this. I, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always iffy about saying anything that sounds kind of positive about any religion. Uh, so, James, I'll pass it on to you. But the truth, look, I, I am you, I am an atheist and I think religion is a pernicious influence as such across the board. But I have to sort of agree here. The only religiously based ethics that I even know of, and I come from a Christian background, sir, the only religious uh, religious based ethics that I know of that even gives a small area, and it is just an area because there is a good deal of collectivism and altruism in Jewish ethics, but at least there's a space for egoism. If I am not for me, who will be? Okay, now it's true. It says if I'm only for me, who am I? But the point is, this is a Jewish maxim from Rabbi Hillel, centuries old, that actually allows for a ma for a certain degree of egoism. I know of no other religiously based ethics that even has that. So to some extent, I agree with that. They're further associated because of that with capitalism, because Arabs, uh, Arab Muslims and uh, Christian uh, Christians in Europe could not charge interest on loans. And so they had all this kind of economic resentment against Jewish bankers and so forth. But they were the ones they depended upon for economic uh, development uh, to, to be their bankers for centuries. And so that developed. There's all kinds of reasons. And as I say, it goes back even to the origins of Christianity and its political origins. Uh, so it's a very complex question, anti-Semitism. Uh, and um, what's more interesting to me, for example, I mean, uh, Joseph Epstein in The Wall Street Journal had an interesting editorial this morning on how Jews are politically without a home in America. You know, the Republicans uh, have never really been their friends and the Democrats certainly these days are not their friends. So they're sort of politically political refugees. And it asks why Jews don't identify with Republicans. Well, Republicans are associated with certain Christian values, conservative values uh, and you know, horrible big business. And it's true, there's all kinds of discrimination, even in American history against uh, Jewish people not being allowed into some certain companies or country clubs and stuff. And that's associated in the Jewish mind with Republicans. Uh, uh, so there's a lot of deep reasons why Jews are resented, it seems to me, but some of them- Yeah, yeah, you know. With secularism and capitalism. Uh, the ev evangelical uh, Christians and the Republican Party are well-known supporters of Israel. And yeah, I think yes. uh, Israelis like that. They, they'd rather not really delve into the reason for that, which is that the <laughs> evangelical Christians believe that once uh, Jesus comes back, you know, uh, everybody will be converted to Christianity or killed or something like that. I don't know exactly. Again, My uh, great-grandmother, she is a Bible-reading Christian, and God's plan will not be fulfilled until the Jews return and rebuild the temple. 
uh, in te- uh, that, 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 that mosque has got to go for biblical prophecy to be fulfilled for the Christians. So Christians, uh, some evangelical Christians definitely believe that uh, there's a God's purpose. But they're in this sense, like Jewish religious people, they believe that God has a special purpose. They're God's chosen people until God's plan for the Jews in Jerusalem has been fulfilled. <laughs> These religious people, whether Jewish or evangelical Christian, are holding out for for Jewish uh, control of Jerusalem and rebuilding of the temple. Yeah, a few years ago, we had uh, an episode about Israel where uh, Tal Heinrich, who is now a uh, spokesperson for Netanyahu, um, was a guest. And I remember Rucka saying uh, afterwards in the clubhouse after show, uh, in, in reference to Trump being supposedly pro-Israel, irrational people are not your friends. Uh, yeah, they're not your friends, even when they seem like they're your friends. Now, I don't think, I think Israel should definitely take advantage uh, you know, short term, wherever it can. But uh, yeah, keep that in mind. Uh, um, the people who really follow their uh, their imaginary friend are are devoted to him and not to uh, reason in any... Bad argument for a good idea is more dangerous than anything else. Okay, and nothing could be worse than a mystic argument uh, for at which Christians and Jews will often give for the state of Israel. No, it's the one I started with. The legitimacy of a state has to do with the degree to which it recognizes and enforces individual rights. And on that score, there's a qualitative difference between Israel and every other Arab Muslim state that surrounds them, uh, night and day. And uh, in that sense, Israel is the only legitimate state there. And if people like myself, believe in freedom of immigration, doesn't that apply to the Middle East as well? Don't Jews have a right to migrate to Israel? You know, in this sense, I have to agree with Ruck, what Rucka said when he came back for his uh, uh, latest uh, farewell. Uh, like I say, I come from a Christian background myself, but I'm a Zionist. I think there needs to be a place where probably the single most persecuted minority worldwide needs to have a place where they're safe. Um, I have to say, I'm a Zionist, even though I don't believe in the religious justifications for Israel. I think that there should be a state where Israel is safe. And I say that now because I'm witnessing anti-Semitism in my country that I never thought I would live to see. Yeah, uh, which I think I can uh, easily segue into a pitch for membership and Super Chats by saying we are working here towards a world where a Jewish state would not be necessary. But yes, I agree with you. Uh, that is not the case um today uh, you know we uh, yeah the world is is a dangerous place for jews and it uh, it makes sense to have a jewish state we have a couple of minutes left do you want to um hear of some of the countries who voted against uh the oh yeah let's, plan? let's hear now, that let's hear that list now I, you know this is again this is 76 years ago uh, i wouldn't necessarily blame people today for what their uh, countries did or i wouldn't blame but uh, so here are some of the some of the countries voting against. So Afghanistan, India, Iran, uh, Iraq, Lebanon, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Yemen, um, Egypt, Cuba, Turkey, and Greece. I think actually, I think I can blame Nikos for that one, but uh, <laughs> I think we put it on Nikos personally, Greece, <laughs> but voting against it is interesting to see a country like Greece, even India, you can see why India though, for its mo- at that moment of partition between uh, 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 Muslims, the hor- 
horrific partition of India is to come here in, in just a matter of months as this is happening. Bear that in mind, the independence of South uh, Asia from the British Empire is happening right now. So India, I can kind of almost understand, but Greece? Yeah, so with the Arab countries, we can also understand because they didn't want the Jews there, and they, uh, you know, they followed up with with a war. But that puts everything else in a in a in a certain you know interesting context, especially the abstentions by countries like the UK, which yeah. uh, you know I would say again, I wouldn't blame today's government for that vote. I would blame them for the recent vote on the ceasefire. Uh, again, when when you look at uh, that ceasefire vote, which we uh, we talked about here. You look at the countries voting for it. Uh, again, you saw Iran. You saw, you know, all all the all these horrible countries, and you saw France and uh, some other some other countries that are supposedly on the side of uh, freedom. Supposedly, say, you know, they they pay the lip service to to this uh, bizarre statement of Israel has a right to defend itself. I mean, it's 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 a unique thing that you don't say that about other countries. Other it's countries, the, it's taken yeah. for granted. And by the way, the right to defend yourself means the right to destroy the capacity of the aggressor to do it again, to make sure it won't happen again. And it's not a question of numbers on each side. It's a question of destroying the aggressive capacity of the aggressor. Um, and unless you can fully do that, you don't have a right. Whatever ma- you mouth about a country's right to self-defense, you're actually denying them if you're calling for a ceasefire uh, right now. Because what is Hamas doing? They're regrouping. They're reorganizing. They're getting people in. They're getting people out. They're using this moment so that they so that it makes it harder for Israel to wipe out uh, Hamas as they should do. And hopefully we'll get back to doing once the hostage thing is over. Um yeah. Uh, and uh, thank you, James. We are actually out of time. But on the reality show, we will talk about these people who very much do not want Israel to continue or to uh, attempt to defend itself. Uh, yeah, I see it is now officially 6 p.m. We are already late. So thanks, James. Uh, we will be live with the reality show Modern Day Holocaust Denial uh, in now, basically. Thanks. See you soon. Bye. Bye.